right, good morning, Hill City. Give yourselves a hand for making it out this morning. Come on now, we finally found winter in, Ta- in Dallas, Texas. What a miracle. What a miracle. I, keep, I kept telling all my friends up north, we, we were still in the middle of fall. Those leaves finally turned red and yellow two weeks ago, and then winter came yesterday. So here we are. Uh, are you happy to be in the house of the Lord today? Say yes. Come on, are you happy to be uh, loved by the living God? Say yes. Turn to that person next to you and say, I like you a whole lot, and he loves you more. And he loves you more. There you go. Well, we are finishing up our series titled The Gifts. Everybody say The Gifts. Yes. Now, how many of you guys have already started giving gifts and receiving gifts? How many of you have already started? Come on, Merry Christmas. Good job. How many of you guys have already done one of those white elephant deals at work or somewhere? Okay. Did you end up with anything funky or weird or yeah yeah all right well there you go well and again remember this is uh this is christmas season and uh which is supposed to be the season where all of humanity celebrates the greatest gift the gift of jesus and so we've been in this three-part series called the gifts and trying to identify what do we give to jesus what do we give him well, what is this thing really all about? I mean, we love giving gifts to one another. I think kids love it. Um, you know, we were laughing because um, I'm an only child. My wife is an only child. And so our firstborn, uh, Mimi and Pop, lived in Louisiana at the time, and they would just show up with a U-Haul. They would just, just show up with a U-Haul in tow behind their vehicle and just start unloading all these gifts for this, for this you know, infant of a kid who had you know, uh, just everything he could ever imagine because he was the only grandkid at the time. And so uh, you know, as we're giving gifts to one another, I think it's real important, and that's what we've been focusing on, is are we really giving the gifts that Jesus is deserving of to him? And that we make this season really much more about him and not so much about one another. And so we've been looking at these different pieces. And, you know, being originally from Louisiana, I'm a Cajun. I'm a Texacajun now. I'm a Texacajun. And I was thinking about the other day about Boudreaux and Marie, who are these famous Cajuns. And now, you know, they live in New Iberia. And New Iberia is a very famous Cajun town. We, some time ago, New Iberia decided that it was going to have one of the best nativity scenes ever found in the deep south. So Boudreaux and Thibodeau and all the, all the Cajuns helped put this nativity scene together. It was so beautiful. It was life-size, and it stood right out there in front of the, the, the courthouse there in New Iberia, right across from the dollar store. Well, wouldn't you know it this last year? One of Marie's cousins, one of them Yankees from way up north, decided that they were going to come visit for Christmas. And so while they were visiting for Christmas, Boudreaux told Marie, he said, Marie, you know what we ought to do? We ought to take your cousin and them over there to see the, the life-size, uh, you know, nativity scene that we built a few years ago, me and Boudreaux done built. And I think they really enjoyed that. She goes, that's a great idea, Boudreaux. Let's go take them there. And so he takes them, man. They get out of their F-150, and they walk up to the nativity scene. And wouldn't you know that big old Yankee sitting there? And he goes, listen, I, I don't mean to hurt you guys' feelings, but this ain't accurate. And Boudreaux said, what you mean it ain't accurate? He said, I'm just telling you, this ain't accurate. The three wise men, they were, not, they were not firemen. You've got a fire hat on them. You've got fire coats on them. They're holding fire hoses. That's not accurate. And Boudreaux went off on it. He said, you know, I'm so tired of all you liberal northern Yankees. I'm so tired trying to bring your old liberal mess down here in the south. He said, hold on just a second. He went and he got his Bible out of the truck. He came running back over. He started thumbing through the scriptures. And he found that place in the book of Luke. And he said, see what it says right here? The three wise men came from afar. I'm telling you right now. About as accurate as you can get. With that being said, turn in your Bibles with me, Matthew chapter 2. This has been our key scripture for the series. 
Y'all are so gracious. I'm going to just tell you that right now. Uh, my kids did not laugh like that last night. They were like, that's stupid, Dad. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 has been our key passage for this series. And, um, and what we've done is we've honed into the moment where the magi, the wise men, show up um, there at the house where Mary and Jesus, baby Jesus or young Jesus is at. As we laid out already for you, um, Jesus is not at the manger scene like our nativity scenes show. Um, he is now, um, Mary and Joseph have a house. Uh, the, uh, the birth and delivery has been some time past. More than likely, uh, Jesus is somewhere just under the age of two, probably somewhere between one and two years of age. The Magi have taken a really long time. We were laughing earlier. They couldn't have been too wise. It took them year, two years to find him. So anyway, we're going to call him Magi. But anyway, they show up at the home. And look what it says in verse 11. It says, on com coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And I just can't get past the fact that the moment that they came into the presence of the living God, even in the form of a child, they could not, as these wealthy, you know, Elon Musk type of people, they fell down on their face and began to worship. And the next piece says, and they opened up their treasures to him. It is my heart for you that you would be wise this Christmas season and open up your treasures to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we looked at these three treasures and we were able to identify prophetically, they were literally prophesying over who this child is. And it says, and they opened up their treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we, in the first two parts of the series, we identified that, that gold was a gift fit for a king. And so then I asked us the question, so what gift do we bring in modern times, what's our goal that we would bring to our King Jesus? And it helped us understand that one of those gifts of gold would be, as fit for our King, would be our submission to his rulership. And we all laughed about how hard that is. It's so hard to submit to his rulership. He's so gracious and so kind with us. We also said that our gold gift to the king would be surrendering our valuables. And I asked the question, what do you value so much that if Jesus asked for it, you would have a hard time giving it up? What would that be? That means you love that more than you love him. And you're not completely surrendered to his kingship in that area. I know that I struggle with that. And then we also looked at surrendering our rights would be a gift fit for a king. And I challenge you during this Christmas season to give up your right to hate the person who's done you wrong. To give up your right to be embittered because of what happened in your childhood. To give up that right. You have a, I have a right. I have a right to this because of what happened to me. And I, and I challenged us, as the word of God tells us to, that how can we expect our father to forgive us our sins if we don't forgive those who sinned against us? To give up our rights, to surrender to his kingship. And then last week we looked at the gift fit for our high priest, which is, what, which is what frankincense would have been. It was used in the workings of the temple, and Jesus is our high priest. And, the, and they literally were prophesying that over him when they gave him frankincense. It was an odd gift to give, but it was speaking to his, 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 his high priestliness over us. And what it was the role of a high priest? They were the mediator between the people and between God. And we now have one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus Christ. We don't need another high priest. You don't need to go sit in a confessional booth to tell pastor. Adam all your sins and all your problems so that I can absolve you of them no you have a high priest his name is Jesus 
And he says, come boldly to me, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And he's a precious, wonderful, forgiving, gracious high priest. Are you with me? Say yes. That's the God that we serve. And so today, as we jump in, we're going to look at this third gift that they presented. And again, remember we've taught you, they were, there probably were not three little wise men. There were three types of gifts, but these gifts would have been lavished. And so there wouldn't have been one little bottle or one little piece, you know, and one little bucket of it. It would have been lavished in these three different types of gifts. And our third gift that we see in its representative of, of who Jesus was is the gift of myrrh. Everybody say myrrh. And this is a gift fit for our Savior. In fact, what did the wise men say after they had offered up their gifts of gold and frankincense? They said, wait, there's myrrh. All right, so with that being said, what is myrrh? We scratching the bottom this morning, I'll tell you. It's the end of the year. Give me a break. All right, come on up. <laughs> That's bad when you're heckled by your own people that you love. I'll tell you. <laughs> One cage into another, or at least family. Golly. So what is myrrh? And so let me just kind of break down. Frankincense and myrrh were real similar. And uh, they were, you know, myrrh is an arom uh, aromic resin uh, that comes actually from the myrrh tree. Unlike the frankincense, frankincense came from the Aswali tree. Uh, myrrh comes from the tree that's actually named. There you, there's a picture of it. Uh, and you find that tree that still today in the Arabian desert and parts of Africa. And, um, and so unlike the frankincense uh, that had from the Oswald, where they had to cut into it to get it to bleed out its resin, uh, the myrrh tree actually just drips its resin off of its branches and off of its bark. And so the way they collect it is basically they scrape it off the ground many times or they'll scrape it off the bark. And much like the frankincense, um, it, 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 it hardens and it forms this kind of oily brownish Substance. Give him a picture of that. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so again, it's a little darker than frankincense. And I highly suggest that if you had some of this in your car and you get pulled over, that you make it clear that you're not carrying crack rocks, but these are actually, um, this is myrrh, is what you might want to have to explain to a police officer. And so, it, it, and, and again, the way that they, um, the way after it hardens and the way they use it by way of either crushing it or turning it into an oil by the, by the different processes, and it hardens and, um, uh, and, then, and then, of course, they use it. So in the Bible, there are multiple uses that we see for this myrrh. And so, again, very, very valuable, very, very expensive. The common man would not have any myrrh in their home, per se, because it was so valuable. Only the wealthy and only, you know, entire, um, you, know, uh, you know, nations uh, would have used it in ceremonial pieces. It was, number one, it was used in the anointing oil, just like frankincense was. It was, uh, frankincense and, and myrrh would have been combined for the anointing oil that would have been used all throughout the temple where God is anointed. He's asking different parts of the temple workings the candelabra, the different pieces that they needed to have these oils covering them because it would give off a fragrance, an incense, uh, a smell to God that represented holiness and rightness and uh, as, well as, uh, as well as the high priest would have been anointed with oil and they would anoint others with oil to separate them out to God. There's another work though for, uh, unlike frankincense, um, um, myrrh was used as an anesthetic. Uh, in fact, we see this in Matthew chapter 15 uh, and verse 23. Jesus is on the cross. They have beat him. He has carried the cross beam up the hill of Golgotha. They've laid him across it, and they've nailed his hands and his feet to this cross. They've lifted it up and dropped it down in the hole. 
and he's on his last few moments of breath. And the Bible says that the Roman soldiers, they took a mixture of myrrh and of wine. They had mixed it. They put it on a, on a stick with a rag to put it up to his mouth. And the reason why they did this is because it was used as an anesthetic. And, uh, and that would have prolonged his life. Uh, it would cause the pain to go away because he's in excruciating pain. And, uh, and my wife and I were talking about this the other day. I got it all confused. But basically an anesthetic, what it does is it causes the pain to subside so that you can endure. And, and, and you don't put as much pressure on your heart and your organs because of the pain that you're experiencing. That's why they put you under, or that's why they give you some type of anesthetic when they're going to operate on you, or they're going to cut you open or something like that. They fill you full of this. And this is what they attempted to get Jesus to take. But if you've read your Bible, you know that Jesus refused it. And the reason why he refused it, because he wanted the full suffrage that he was going to give for you and me. Are you with me? Say yes. He wasn't going to divert any of the pain that he was going to take on himself so that you and I could be free of pain. Are you tracking? Say yes. Come on, say yes. He loved you so much, he refused the anesthetic in the midst of the pain and the suffering that he was carrying on the cross. So we see it used as an anesthetic. But the primary use of myrrh throughout the scriptures is that it's primarily used as a preservative. It would be predominantly used, especially after someone has died, in preserving the body and the organs. And the, it was ceremonially very, very expensive to use. But it was, you know, you know how you got that cousin you ain't heard from in, in, in 10 years, but grandma dies. And next thing you know, you show up at the funeral and there's a flower. I mean, somebody paid $1,000 for that set of flowers because cousin Smith, you know, decided, oh, my goodness, I ain't seen grandma. But they're going to spend all their money on the most expensive flowers. The, Using myrrh in the burial of someone, it's the most expensive stuff you could have used, and they would have spent all their money to do the, 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 you know, the, the, the ceremonial uh, wrapping and cleansing of the body with these oils and with this, uh, with this myrrh. They would have spent all their money for this moment because that person was precious to them. And so we actually see this happening in the book of John, chapter 19 and verse 39 through 40 with Jesus after he's been murdered, after he has been taken down off the cross, and they begin to take his body it says and he was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh everybody say myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes I want you to think about a five gallon bucket I want you to think about how how much they spent and effort and energy of this myrrh to to take Jesus body and the two of them wrapped him in it with the spices and strips of linen and this was in accordance with the Jewish burial custom so they would have taken the strips of linen and dipped it in this myrrh and wrapped the body in it it was a preservative it was for it, it was ceremonially uh, again an anointing oil if you will and that's the process that we see it being used. Now, when we talk about Jesus and this myrrh, this myrrh being a gift fit for our Savior. So the moment that these magi, if you will, are giving the myrrh at Jesus's, you know, uh, you know in his childhood, it is, it is an awkward, quite frankly, it's an awkward gift. It would be like you sending a casket or a sympathy card um, to a baby shower. That's what it, you would be like, what did they just send us? So these men on their knees worshiping, opening up myrrh, they are literally prophesying that this child was born to die. That this child would be the savior that has been prophesied about all throughout scripture. 
that literally that this child, so the awkwardness of Mary going, well, thank you for the myrrh, I guess. Mm. But it is prophetic that he would be our savior, the sacrificial lamb of God. In fact, prior to the wise man getting there, they've already had an experience in the book of Luke chapter 2 and verse 25 where Simeon has this um, moment with the child Jesus. And if you'll turn there with me in verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What he was waiting for was the redemption of Israel. He was waiting for God to do what God said he would do, that he would send a deliverer, that he would send a a savior for his people Israel. And Simeon, who's a righteous and godly man who spent his time in the temple, kind of like a house of prayer guy. He's been in there every day and night, praying and seeking God's face. And um, And he had had a word from the Lord, verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary to the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, as you have promised, that's what he says, as you have promised, I can now be dismissed, your servant in peace. Verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm holding your Savior for the world, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Thank you, Jesus. And the glory of your people, Israel. So Simeon, a righteous man who's in and out of the temple every day, a man of prayer, a man of godliness, and and the Holy Spirit says, go to the temple today. And as he comes into the temple, he sees Mary and Joseph and little Jesus. Little Jesus. And they, they're probably carrying him. You know, she's probably carrying him. And she comes in, and as soon as he sees him, the Spirit of the Lord quickens him. He goes, there it is. There he is. And he runs over, and he grabs this kid, this child Jesus. And he says, sovereign Lord, you can now release me. I don't have to live on this planet anymore. For you have made a covenant with me that I would not die before seeing the Savior of the earth. And here he is, the one that will be the light to the Gentiles, the one for the Jewish people, the Messiah, if you will. So before the Magi even get there, Simeon has already begun prophesying that this child is the Savior. After Jesus has grown older, we see this moment In John chapter 1, where John the Baptist yells out in John chapter 1, verse 21, says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world, takes away the sins of the world. Here he is. That's the one, the Lamb of God. Paul prophesies it or speaks to Jesus being the Lamb of God in 1 Corinthians 5 when he's rebuking the Corinthian church because they've gone back into sin. They've got perversion all in their community of believers. They've got men sleeping with their stepmoms and all this kind of wickedness, and the community of believers aren't dealing with it. And so he says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 5, he says, Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's saying, listen, Jesus sacrificed his life so that we don't have to live in sin. 
How dare you let that sin continue in your midst? And he uses that term, sacrificial lamb, just like John the Baptist did, the lamb of God. Now, i got to bring you back hundreds of years earlier from these passages of Scripture so you can get a mental picture and an understanding on why Jesus is called the lamb of God, why he is the Savior, if you will. So it goes back to the season where the people of Israel were slaves to Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They had been, they had been raped, pillaged, beaten, murdered. They were slaves to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians had, had, had conquered other nations and made them slaves as well but the people group israelis are jews were one of the largest people groups in fact most historians will tell you that's how they built all those pyramids was on the backs of slaves and so the israelites had been crying out to god for hundreds of years lord forgive us of our rebellion because they had turned away from god and so god said okay if you don't want to serve me you want to serve first false idols i'll leave you to yourself i'll take my hand off of you and let you do you boo just go do you boo however it works i hope it works out for you Without God's hand of mercy and protection, anybody know what I'm talking about? They were now exposed to the wickedness of the, uh, uh, of the demonic forces in the nations of the world. So the Egyptians came in, took them as slaves, and then had been beating, murdering, and killing them for years as their slaves. Until finally, the Israelis looked up, generation, 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 went, didn't way back in the day we served Jehovah God? Let us cry out to him, and God sent them a deliverer through Moses. Y'all know the storyline? Come on. You saw, yeah, you saw the Disney version? And so, and so Mer- Moses comes, and he says to Pharaoh, God is done with you, them being your slaves. The God of heaven and earth says, let his people go. And then Pharaoh says, nah, I don't think so. So plague one. At the end of plague one, okay, 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 tell your God to stop it. All the way to the 10th plague. Y'all remember the 10th plague? The 10th plague, Moses tells Pharaoh, he says, God is done with you. He's done playing games with you. So tomorrow night, God's going to send a death angel. And he's going to kill every firstborn male in Egypt. Everyone. From every tribe and tongue. Everyone. So, dear Pharaoh, your firstborn boy, the heir to your, to your, uh, to your throne, will be dead tomorrow. Ah, I don't believe it. Ah, I'm paraphrasing, of course. And so then Moses goes to the people of Israel and he says, listen, God says he's sending the death angel. He says, but here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to take an innocent lamb. He wants you to kill that innocent lamb, every household. Take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost. And when the death angel comes, that sign on that door will say you belong to Jehovah, that you're willing to obey him. He is willing to protect you if you're willing to obey him by killing your little lamb. Now, do you know what impoverished people had to do to get a little lamb? Do you know how much they have saved up their little pennies and scraping and they've been slaves to get their one little lamb? Are you tracking with me? Do you know what they had to go through in the middle of that day or into that night to get a lamb, to get the blood off, kill that lamb, to get the blood off of it and put it over their doorpost? This was a complete and total engagement. You're all in or you're all out. Which one are you? And they said, those that said we're all in, they took that blood of that lamb, they put it over their doorpost, and throughout the night, all throughout Egypt, remember, they don't have power plants going in the distance. They don't have airplanes flying over. Have you ever stayed out in the country at night? And you can hear, you can hear the coyote, you know, uh, 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 ha- uh, yelling uh, you know, 400 miles away. And you're like, what is that? You're out in the country. You can hear everything. You can hear the snakes moving in the grass. And so throughout the night, this is what people heard. He's dead, he's dead. Throughout the night, the screams as mamas went into the bedrooms of their newborns and they're dead. As grown men in charge 
of thousands, generals, died as the death angel killed them. But those who had the blood of the lamb over their doorpost were saved. Jesus was then sent thousands of years later. The king of glory, the high priest, turns himself into the savior, the sacrificial lamb. That you and I would be saved from the death angel. Do you understand? By serving Jesus, his blood covers you. That's why the Bible talks about we're covered by his blood. I know that's a little creepy for those of you that understand the, the historical you know, background of the Jewish people and us as Gentiles being grafted into, into the Jewish culture and the Jewish relationship with Jehovah. And we now have a, a right passage through Jesus Christ, our Savior, because he came not just to save the Jews, but to save the Gentiles. All of us, that all humanity, he wanted none should perish, but all have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever 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 gentile greek doesn't matter jew whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life and so jesus christ your savior his blood had to be spilled so that there could be a covering over your life and when god the father goes to bring judgment he'll go in up oh, not them not them wait a minute i see the blood of the lamb over them so it doesn't matter about good and bad. So then what our life is all about is serving the Lamb of God, serving the high priest, serving our King of kings and our Lord of lords. But when God the Father looks down on you and all your foolishness and all your stupidity, what does he see? The blood of the Lamb. That's what he sees. He sees his righteousness, not your righteousness. We then are going to have to give an account to Jesus for how we lived on this earth. There's a secondary judgment, by the way, Corinthians talks about. There's a separation of the sheep and the goats, and then there's the judgment of the lamb, where we have to give an account for our obedience or disobedience to the lamb of God. Are you with me? Say yes. It's the Savior. So when John the Baptist yells out, the, behold, the lamb of God, every Jewish person went, what? The lamb? You're talking about the lamb that we celebrate, the death passing over us. Of that little lamb that was killed and put blood over. You're, call, you're calling him the Messiah, the one who's come to die? John the Baptist, that's exactly who he is. And so when Paul, years later, is rebuking the church, how dare you continue in sin? When the sacrifice has already been made. He died and he resurrected and his blood is put over our doorpost. And you're going to continue to bring wickedness into your life? How you are dishonoring the great Savior. Which brings me to the question. If Jesus is the Savior of humanity, how then do we celebrate his Saviorness at Christmas time? What gift is worthy of your Savior? What gift? What gift do you bring to the Savior? We've identified what gifts we bring to our king, to our high priest, our mediator between God. But what gift do you give the Savior? Jesus actually answers it in a roundabout way. He answers it in Matthew. And he says it like this. Matthew chapter 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are no greater commandments than these. 
in this moment, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? What do I do to be honorable to God? How do I obey all the, all the different commandments and the rules that all the Jewish leaders have now said, turn this into a rule, turn this into a rule, turn this into a rule. I got to go to church. I got I to do this. I got to tithe. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to read my Bible. I got to do this. Which of all the rules really are the greatest? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you, love God with everything you have. And then love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. We call it, call it the golden rule, right? Do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. Jesus kind of is qualifying what the great gift for the Savior is. And I would like to just help you understand. Here's the two great gifts that you give your Savior. Number one, yourself. All your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. He's giving you. And here's the second gift that you give him, and that is others. Let me break that down for you for just a moment. We'll start with number one, the gift of myrrh for our Savior. Number one is us. Paul had it so well said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 when he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. He said, listen, I have come to the conclusion that all my education, all the money that I was after, all the prestige, all the positions of power I was after, in my, and I got to some real positions of power in my community. He says, I consider that worthless is a loss. I just want to know Christ. I just want, I give him who I am because I want to be with him. I want to know him. I want to be like him. He says, I've given, I consider them all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness in my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and so somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says, listen, the rest of it is worthless. I give you me so that I can know you and I can be like you. This has been the failure of the church. We want to come hear good messages. We want to be massaged by, by, you know, counselors and people like that. Instead of just saying, here I am, God. I give you me. I got nothing else to give. I give you me. With all my brokenness, with all my stupidity, my life is your life. I just want to know you. I'm willing to go through suffrage just like you went through suffrage so I could understand you. I'm willing. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I don't want to live this life in mundane living and reading all the leadership manuals and listening to all the leadership podcasts. I want to know the power that you had. I want to understand the power of the Holy Spirit that can flow through me for the resurrection of the... I want to understand that. And so I give you me so that I can have you. This is what Paul is saying. I'm telling you, so much of the church has just said, you know, I just want a little bit of Jesus. No, no, no. All of who we are. My question to you and my question to myself but we've been preparing for weeks is, Lord, what have I held back from you? What have I said, Jesus, you can have this, but you can have this part of me. You can have, what gift is fit for a Savior? You. You're the gift. Every bit of you. Every bit of your weaknesses, every bit of your strengths, every bit of your thoughts, every bit of your failures, every bit of your successes. You, just you. That's all he's ever truly wanted. That's why he became the Savior, because the only way to save you is to have all of you. All of you. And then, if you will, the second gift worthy of a Savior is others. Loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. In fact, Jesus' final commandment to us in Matthew 28 was what? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. This is a disciple-making church. You're going to be miserable if you're waiting for us to do Christmas cantatas and give away iPads so that people might come to church and, you know, you wait for me to swallow goldfish and do things to get people to come. You're going to be miserable because that's not what he told me. Those are all smoke and mirrors to the thing that really matters. And the thing that really matters is every one of us make disciples. He said, Pastor, I don't know how to make a disciple. Can I tell you how do you start? Would that be okay? Could I share with you a little bit? How about you just start bragging on Jesus everywhere you go? Just brag on him. Has he been good to you? Share that with people. Has he, or should you be dead right now? Should you be broke and poor and busted up? Should you even have a marriage right now? He has been good to us. He is the living God, the Savior of all humanity, for whoever will call upon his name. He has been good to us. Months ago, I taught you seven Hebrew words. I referred back to it in last week's message. But I taught you seven Hebrew words of worship and praise to God that the Hebrews would use in praise to God. And one of them was the word hell. Would you say that with me? Hell. I'm not saying hell. I'm saying hell. All right, there you go. Got to learn to row your oars, you gringos. All right, let's go. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. Hell, which actually, let me t- give you the definition. It'll be on the screen. It actually means to boast, to brag, to rave about God, even to the point of coming across foolish, appearing foolish, looking stupid. Yeah, you know, I just don't want to look stupid. You know, I want, I want to make Jesus cool. How are you going to make Jesus cool? How are you going to make the bloody lamb of God cool to the carnal mind? You're going to try to tell him he'll make you rich. What happens when he doesn't make them rich? This is what the prosperity preaching has done to people. Come to Jesus. You'll never have any pain, any suffering. You'll never go through anything bad. And you get to, you get to go to heaven. You get a get-out-of-jail-free card. And so people are like, well, yeah, give me that. And then they start going through hell on earth. And all they did was they they bought fire insurance, but they never gave him their lordship. They never let him be lord over them. And so they never let him truly be the savior. And so the greatest thing you can do is brag about how he's brought you through and how you come through it and how you're still standing and how he has given mercy and grace when you didn't know what to do. And when you failed him, he picked you back up and he held you tight and said, you're mine, baby boy. You're mine, baby girl. I'll never give up on you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. You should brag on how great he's been. And so that's that word, hell, in the Jewish worship. They would give him a hell worship where they would just begin to say, he's good. He's been so good to me. And they would literally create entire songs around hell worship where they just brag on him and brag on him and brag on him and brag on him how great he is and how magnificent he is a couple weeks ago I was in Colombia and I was with the missionaries in Colombia and I wanted to catch some video footage and had Mariah uh, who actually works in our media department here uh, uh, but she you know she couldn't bring all our equipment and stuff from the church she had you know we were there and I had my iPhone I said baby uh, won't you get uh, take some video footage of me and the missionary just talking about what God's been doing over here? Maybe we can share it, you know, uh, you know, here uh, at Hill City and things like that. She's okay, and so and so she was trying to record, but it was real loud out, and, and she's like, "Dad, it's the audio is not going to be good." And and the missionary goes, oh, "You're not going to believe what I got." I was like, "What?" He goes, "I just bought this thing," and and off of Amazon. I was like, "Amazon works in Colombia." He goes, 
the Amazon River. Anyway, and so, and so and he said, and so I just got this delivered, and we've been using it for the last couple of days. And he goes, it's this, you, these little, uh, these uh, uh, um, portable microphones. They just clip right here. He said, I got two of them. He goes, and then there's a little receiver that you plug into the bottom of your iPhone. He said, it is, it is wireless. He said, you can walk 300 yards, and it'll still pick it up clear as day. I was like, no, you do not. Let me see it. He said, look, I'm seeing. He goes in, gets it out of his desk. He opens it up. He goes, it's charged up. You want to you use it? I was like, we got to use it. I've never seen anything like this. Let me see it. He goes, oh, let me tell you, Pastor. And he's got his little guy there. He goes, tell him about how good the video is. Oh, Pastor, the videos are so good. You're going to love it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, it just clips on right there. It just clips. No wires. Or no, no, it's wireless. How far can it go? Man, like 100, 200, 300 yards. Like, no way. Like, watch this. So we climbed on top of their, vi- their building, and Mariah's down here, you know, with the camera trying to two stories up on top of their little, uh, you know, their little missions work. And, uh, and you could hear it clear as day. And I, as soon as we finished that, I got back, and I said, y'all go buy that right now. <laughs> like, Pastor, what you going to use it for? I said, I don't care. I got to have it. <laughs> I got to have it. You know why I had to have it? Because someone who had experienced the goodness of it bragged and bragged and bragged about it until I said, you know what? Our little junk ain't working. I don't want my little junk no more. I want your junk. Your junk is working. Give me that stuff. And guess what? It costs a pretty penny, like 300 bucks. And I was like, whoo, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Do you know why your friends and neighbors and coworkers don't want Jesus? Because you never brag about how great he is. He's great. You don't have to answer all their questions. Yeah, but what about this? You're like, I have no idea. I'm not Reformed theology, and if I am, I don't know it. But let me, I don't know. I don't have a clue. All I know is once I was blind and now I see. All I know is I couldn't keep my marriage together. And my wife kept telling me, if something don't change, I'm out the door. And I found Jesus tracked me down, and I got saved. I gave my life. All I know is I've been going to that little Hill City Church. They got me in some encounter, laid hands on me. I got some little prayer language thing going. All I know is I don't have the same hatred in my heart that I used to have. All I can tell you is this, is that it works. He works. He's been good to me. I started tithing. Listen, I get told every week, Pastor, I know people don't like to hear about tithing. But you know what? I tried it the other day, and let me tell you something my business has increased, uh, that my finances are coming through. Why? Because they've started obeying the Lord, and in that, he's good to us. Why don't we brag on him? I'll tell you why. Because we're embarrassed about their insecurities. <laughs> this man didn't care a flying flip whether I liked his Apple product or wherever he bought this thing from or not. It was good to him, and I'm dumb not to have it. That's how he presented it. And when he bragged on that and bragged on that, he didn't, ha- he didn't have all the answers. Well, well, what if I'm using a Google phone? Yeah, I don't know. Let me tell you what. It works on my iPhone. So I'm, I'm thinking I had an iPhone, but I was saying if I didn't have an iPhone, I'd be getting me an iPhone because I want that right there. We're doing these Christmas Eve services and not doing a Christmas Day service because I want you with your family. Why do I want you with your family? Because I want you bragging on Jesus with your Because you're the only bragger that they'll probably ever hear. They got enough people talking bad about him online. Lying and manipulating. Full of the devil. That's all they're just deceived. There's enough deceptive people out there with microphones. So the people who've had these amazing, amazing lives with the living God need to brag on him. What can I bring to the Savior? Me and others. I am a purchaser of the wireless microphones for iPhone. I am, I am now a part of their partnership. 
They're probably sending me emails right now. Guess what? There's more. <laughs> right? I am, I am on their email list now because I bought something from them. Are you tracking with me? We're going to do three services at the Cedar Hill campus. We're going to do one on Friday, Christmas Eve, Eve. That way you can have Christmas Eve with your family. So we can't come, Pastor. You know, Grandma wants us there on Saturday. Good, you can do Friday. So, oh, you know what, Friday, we got such and such with the school and there's presentation. Good, then you can do Christmas Eve with us. We're giving it to you. You can, you can come at 5 or you can come at 6.30 on that Saturday. Or you can come at, what is it, 6 o'clock on the Friday. You still got time to get somewhere by 7.30. You can drag friends, coworkers, neighbors. You know what we're going to do? We're going to spend an hour and 10 minutes and we're going to show them the goodness of our God. We're going to brag on our Jesus. We're going to talk about how good he's been. We're going to talk about how great he is. We're not going to humiliate anybody or make anybody feel shameful. We're just going point to point them to the greatest gift ever given to humanity. Jesus, the Savior. He's our Savior. Would you stand with me all across the room? As you stand, here's my question. Here's my question I want you to, I want you to answer for yourself. Have you given him everything? It's Christmas. What gift is fit for a Savior? What gift? You. You're the gift. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just close your eyes so you can concentrate for just a moment. Just close your eyes. And say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me what I've not given Jesus? What have I held back? What part of me have I kept from him having? And I've said, you can have a little bit here and a little bit there. But you can't have all of me. Let the Holy Spirit show you. I don't know. I, I have no judgment for you. I'm, I'm concerned about how much I've held back from him. And I want to make it right. So here in this moment, if the Spirit of the Lord reveals to you, you've held back this part of you. You've held back that part of you. Then guess this is how good my God is. You just say, Lord, would you, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for holding back who I am and all that I am? And I just want you right where you stand to make a fresh commitment. Say, Lord, here's all of me. Here's all of me. All, every bit of me. I'll never forget when I was on that mission trip, mission trip at 14 years old in Haiti. And the Lord asked me for all of me. See, I wanted, to be a, I wanted to be a famous actor. I wanted to be a rich businessman. And on that mission trip, when I saw the pain and suffering of the poorest country in our hemisphere, God said, this is what I made you for to help hurting people will you give me every bit of, I was a Christian I love God that's why I went on the mission trip and he asked me will you give me every bit of who you are and I said yes Lord here I am every bit every dream every desire to be rich and wealthy every desire to be famous and I laid in that hammock in the most impoverished country in our hemisphere and I said God here I am something shifted in me in that day it was as though I brought back to him something that was worthy of who he was and what he had done for me. I think he's asking you that in this moment. Will you give me every dream? Will you let me be the true savior to save you from yourself? And save you from the plan the enemy has from you? Would you give him everything in this moment? Jesus, hear the cry of repentant hearts. And then as you stand here, would you, would you shift with me? Would you make a commitment right where you stand and start bragging on your Jesus to others? Would you make that commitment right there? Come on, he's worthy of it. There's a family member. Listen, if I go through your social media, am I going to find you bragging on sin or am I going to find you bragging on Jesus? If I go through your posts, am I going to find you bragging on secular, you know, humanity, 
and, and cultural relevance, or am I going to find you bragging about how good Jesus has been? Make a commitment here and now that you'll start bragging on him. Jesus, as a church, we tell you we, we're grateful. You are the Savior, the one true God. You and you alone. No one else is willing to die for me. No one else gave their life for my, my, my wickedness. No one else stood up and said, Judge, I know you've sentenced Adam and Cain to death, but I'll take his place. Let him go free. That's what you did, Jesus. That's what the Savior did, the Lamb of God. So I ask you now, I ask you now, Jesus, to forgive me where I've misappropriated your great sacrifice. Lord, I make a commitment in front of our church, in front of those online with us, to brag on you everywhere I go, to brag on you. Lord, I get so caught up in what's not going good in life that I don't pause and go, wait a minute, he is so good. And so, Lord, may we be the most braggadocious congregation in the United States of America. May people get tired of listening to us. May we look foolish to our coworkers and our neighbors and our, and our, and our family members. Because that's what the hell worship looks like. The hell worship is, is to declare he is great. Brag on your greatness. Even though it may look, make us look dumb. And so we make that commitment today. I'd like you to keep your head bowed and your eye closed for a moment. I want to give a call to anyone who might say, Pastor, if I died today, I'm not sure if I'd go to heaven. Man, I have been there. I have been there. I know the turmoil that's going on inside of you. The turmoil is the result of you want God. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be watching us online if there wasn't this want, this desire. And if I had to guess, you probably have not been serving God or you feel shame and guilt because of sin. But I got such good news for you. Jesus said it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the way, that he is the son of God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Isn't that crazy? He said, Pastor, I believe he's the son of God. Well, then I want to lead you in a moment of confessing him as the son of God, as your savior. What the connotation there of that passage is that you then surrender to his lordship and let him be the Lord of your life, which takes repentance of sin and confessing as him as your Lord. And so today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, it's time. I'm ready to get right with Jesus. I'm ready to repent of my sins. And this is a deep, private thing, but it's eternal. And so I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I want to lead you in a prayer of dedication, of confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. But I want to lead you in that prayer right where you stand. I don't want to call you forward. Either the cameras are not going to zoom in on you. This is deep, private, eternal. Because I have learned over the years... If you do something to impress others, then you'll do something else to impress others. But if today you want Jesus deep down in your heart, if you'll make that commitment and you'll pray this prayer of repentance with me, then no one will be able to steal that away from you. And you in moments of difficulty can say, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make the pastor feel good. I wasn't trying to impress everybody in the room. I wanted God and he wanted me. And so today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I'm ready to get right with the Lord. I'm ready to repent of my sins. And I want you to lead me in a prayer of repentance. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? And I want to lead someone in that prayer. Cross this room. Say, Pastor, pray with me. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Anybody else? Okay, I see you. I definitely will lead you in this prayer of repentance. Anyone else? Give you about two more seconds. I don't want to miss you. Make sure I see it. 
Just me and you looking. Nobody else is looking. Heaven is looking. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now I'm going to lead you in that prayer, that prayer of repentance. I want you to mean it from the depths of your heart. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the congregation to pray out loud alongside of you this prayer of repentance. But I want you to mean it from the depths of who you are. Say it like this. You ready? Say, Jesus. Oh, we can do better. Jesus, today I admit that I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. But here and now, I repent of my sins. Jesus, I declare you are my Lord and my Savior. I ask you now to welcome me into your family, for I am yours forever. Jesus, write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray right now peace would overtake those who cried out to you, who lifted their hand and said, I need Jesus. I pray that great peace. Lord, there's no more fighting. They're not running from you anymore. The elephant has been removed from the room. Lord God, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus. They don't have to figure out how to be good or bad. That, Lord, now that they've submitted to you, you're going to lead them. You're going to grow them. You're going to mature them. You're going to sand off the rough edges, Lord God. The, I pray, Lord God, that the old wicked things that were so temptations for them would lose, would lose its would lose its you know, temptation to them. They, like, I don't even like that anymore. I don't even want to do that anymore. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be so full inside of them that they would begin to have dreams and visions, that they would begin, Lord God, to have understanding when they read the Word of God because the Spirit of the Lord is so strong in them. And God, I thank you. I thank you that you call us sons and daughters. And Lord Jesus, as we wrap up this series, my Savior, the blood of Christ, symbolically over the doorpost of my life, over my family, over my home. And I ask you, Jesus, to strengthen all your people here at Hill City. And Lord, may we brag on you all day, every day, in every way that we can, through every text message, through every post, through every conversation. May we be so braggadocious that people say, I got to have that. I don't have that. I don't know him like that. And Lord, may our lives never be the same. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give glory to God for all that he's done, all that he's doing. Thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.